0: Have you ever been unsure of something? Have you ever had a time where you're like, you know what, I don't know what to do here. And for me, that's happened a few times when I've gotten lost. I I like to think I have a pretty good sense of directions. I live by my GPS and I'm terrible at remembering street names, but I've got a pretty good sense of like, I'm facing this way, my directions generally over that way. But especially when I was learning to drive or when I was young, I was being driven everywhere. I had no sense of direction, and my grandmother played a prank on me once. She took me into a subdivision and pretended like she didn't know where she was going. And she asked me, "She's like, where are we going?" And so she had me turning random directions, and I was like, "We're never gonna make it home. We're gonna starve here. We're surrounded by human beings, and we're like five minutes away from my house." But I felt very lost. That she knew where she was the entire time, but I felt. Very lost. And I learned later, she didn't tell me, I just learned later. I'm like, she knew where she was. And that was really stressful. And so sometimes in our lives with our faith, we ask God the question, What do you want me to do? And we don't feel so sure. And that's a hard thing, even for adults, even for pastors, asking this question, God, what do you want us to do? The answer isn't always super obvious. That we see times in the Bible where God spoke through a burning bush or a booming voice from the sky. It's not always that obvious. Sometimes we feel like we're lost. Sometimes we feel like we don't have the right answers. And if you don't know what to do, how are you you gonna know that you're doing the right thing? And this is the thing that we're all concerned about. How do we know we're doing the right thing? And so I want you to listen today, kids, as I'm talking, and I want you to think of something. I want you to think of someone else. Just whoever the first person is that comes to mind. Maybe it's somebody in your family, maybe it's a friend, Maybe it's somebody you like, maybe it's not. Pick someone who's alive, but think of somebody else other than you. And I want you to tell somebody else who that is right now. Just take a second, tell somebody, you know, this is the person I'm thinking of, or write it down, make sure you know this. And so today we're going to talk about a way that Paul says we can learn to follow God no matter what's going on. A a circumstance where Paul says, even if you don't know, this is something you can do that's always following God. And it all starts with this idea that it's about someone else. So remember, you're somebody else. And if you hear me say something that you can do, I want you to try and think, how could I do that for the person that I'm thinking about? And so today we're on part two of this, this message series I have called Unshakable Faith. And the reason I wanted to talk about this is because it feels very much like we're in a time where everything we know is being shaken. And most of my messages, I take time and I, I plan them out and I pray and I go and I look at a month and I go, what is it God wants me to say this month? But this message series of unshakable faith, I have felt God kind of rolling it around in my spirit since about April. And this is, this is a topic that I've given great amounts of thought to because it's my heart to see the church survive. And I know that the church global. And I know that that only comes from unshakable faith. That if it's based on any kind of external circumstance, it's not good enough. That the world can throw enough at us that our faith could fail if it's placed in anything other than God. So last week we talked about how it's our convictions and our confidence in Christ that see us through hard times. And how Paul wrapped it all up in this one phrase in Philippians. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. And so for the next month, we're going through Philippians. So I challenge you, if you want to go home, read through the book of Philippians. And we're going to be going through it and kind of trying to highlight the themes that Paul talks about here. And so today we're talking about this idea of to live is Christ. And we assume that there's a certain meaning to that. We assume that when we say that, there's a certain answer but I want to challenge what we're all thinking of and go through what, Philippian, what Paul talked about in Philippians here and what he explains about it. So the first scripture I want to read is Philippians 1.27, and we'll have it up on the screen. Most of my slides are just scriptures this week. And it says, Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence... I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. And so I want to draw attention to something here. Paul doesn't say, hear the language. Paul doesn't say, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of Christ. He doesn't say that. That's how we've always understood this. That... Jesus has a a standard, a a way of living, and a a moral bar that he holds up. And he says, I want you to always make sure you're hitting this bar. And I don't want to push that down, but I want to draw attention to what Paul is actually saying here. He doesn't say, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of Christ. He says, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And uh, this word gospel, I'm convinced we've over-spiritualized it that we could get everything the biblical authors mean about it if we just substitute this word gospel for what it translates to, which is good news. That's literally all it meant. There were many things that people at the time would use to say, that would use the word gospel to talk about. It meant good news. And we've, we've taken this word and we've made it a Christian word, and that's fine. But we need to just understand the simplicity of it. Is that he's saying the good news about Christ. And so Paul is literally saying, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the good. Of and so the standard of holiness you need to live to prove that good enough. This news is that God's wrath was out on him to take the payment for our punishment. This good news, make sure that your life is worthy of telling it. To live as Christ to Paul wasn't a calling to a self-imposed moral standard. That is a component of being a Christian. But to live as Christ to Paul was a reminder that Jesus already paved the way. And if I want to live as Christ, if I want to honor this phrase... I need to do anything possible to show other people that. And that when, through the whole book of Philippians, when Paul is talking about living for Christ, he's knocking about a standard. He's talking about a message. He's saying the one thing that we can do at all times to follow the will of God is to tell other people about him. We could live the most moral, holy lives But if our attitude, our relationships, and our lifestyle, if it drives people away from the gospel of Christ, we are not living a life worthy of the gospel. You know, Jesus said that your rightness, your right acts before God have to surpass the Pharisees before you even have a chance of making your own way to the kingdom of God. Your right acts will never bring you into better standards that Jesus already paved the way for that. And Paul kind of talks about this in another book. He says, you know, with this perspective, what, like, why don't we just keep sinning and sinning and sinning if Jesus is always going to forgive us? But the point is, is not just that he always forgives us, but that he always forgives us and we do everything we can to show other people that through our lives. So to Paul, being, life being for Christ, means having such a life that God looks at you and he doesn't say, yeah, that person's good enough to be entered into my kingdom because spoiler alert, none of us are. None of us by our actions will ever be good enough to get into the kingdom. The good news arms wide wherever we are. And he says, just come to me. And so when God looks at us, he wants to be able to say that is a life that is worthy of showing other people my love, my mercy, and my grace it's not self-serving it's not even self doesn't ask the world the most of what it needs and this isn't even a stretch in the text off chapter one on this idea of our lives being so relentlessly outward focused and being such a strong testimony of god's goodness and let me read paul's concept of what victory in this area looks like and this is my next slide and i'm starting a bit through the first verse where he says I know that you will stand firm. So he says, Then whenever I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I know that you will stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one faith for the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. So listen to these qualities. Paul gives an aspect of life for Christ. He says, Living for Christ is about doing whatever we can to show other people God's love. And he says, if you honor this, if you follow this, this is what is going to come. Fearlessness. And it it literally says, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. So it's not just fearlessness because of comfort. It's not just, I'm not afraid because the world is golden. It's fearlessness in the face of opposition. Isn't that something that we want? That we face trials, we face trouble, and we want God to move in such a way that we have no fear anymore. Paul says it plainly. Tell other people about Christ, and that will come. Not only tell other people about Christ, but live the kind of life that's worthy to show other people about God's love. And this is why... I'm a person that looks so far beyond culture that I don't want anything I wear, anything I do, anything I say to make someone feel like they're not welcome to listen to the gospel. Paul said, you know, to the Gentiles, I'm like a Gentile. And to the Jews, I'm like a Jew. That I'm all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. But this is this is life for Christ is not looking at ourselves, not looking at what we think we need, but looking at the other person and saying, what what does that person need to hear the gospel? Do they need a meal? Do they need someone to come over and listen? Do they need help cleaning their house? Whatever this other person needs to feel that love from God, I'm going to do that. And when we do that, we will have no fear." because that's what the Spirit promises us. And so, like I said earlier, sometimes it's hard to know what God wants us to do. But it shouldn't be, because he's already told us so many things of what to do. I had a pastor once that said, if you pray and you don't know the answer, if you say, God, what should I do, and you don't know an answer, do something. Pick something from the Bible and do it. You know, the Bible says that Faith is taking care of widows and orphans. If you're not sure what to do, find one of them. And so it shouldn't be hard because God's given us so many things already. So if you're never sure about what God wants you to do, just say this. God wants me to love someone else. And just in case we feel like I'm sort of stretching a little bit out of the text, because there's, there's a lot of temptation for people to reduce this gospel to just love everybody. If someone's doing something wrong, just love them. If, if someone doesn't want to hear anything, just love them. You don't ever have to challenge people. Now, that's not true. But Paul still drives us on to this motivating factor of love. So in Paul in chapter 2, so we were talking about chapter 1 and living worthy of the gospel of Christ. In chapter 2, he starts it off and he says this. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, If you have any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. So basically, pausing, he says, if you've ever received anything from Christ, if this gospel has ever changed your life or your relationships in any way, Paul says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And something that jumps out about this verse to me, a little bit of a sidebar, is we often talk about what other people need, and we're comfortable there. But even when he says, don't look out to our own interests, but each of you to the interests of others, that's a challenging verse in churches. I heard a story... Uh, last week of a church that they were called uh, Calvary. And they were, I think they were in Woodstock or Windsor or one of the towns, it's W down south. And they wanted to desperately reach the community. And they weren't able to reach the community. And they were talking to people, trying to figure out why. And the message they kept getting back was this, the idea that this word Calvary sounds old. And I don't want to downplay the word Calvary. I love it. Uh, I was just at Calvary Church in Wawa this week. But in their context, lots of people who weren't going to church were looking at this and saying, that sounds like an old word. And that was turning people off. So they went to the church and they said, how could we be driving people away just by our name? So they picked a new name and their church started growing. It's such a simple thing, but they didn't look at their own interests. And the, Calvary is like the crux of the Christian's the Christian faith. It's the name of the place where they crucified Jesus. But they looked at, rather than their own interests, they looked at the interests of the people outside, and they're seeing salvation after salvation after salvation. So we know that a life in Christ benefits us greatly. There's no denying that. Living for Christ changes us in every possible way. But we can be tempted in living for the gospel to draw attention to maximize what we get out of it. I've worked in places where the management, where the ownership, it was just about maximizing profit, doing whatever we could to make sure we have the most possible money. And not talking about cutting corners, not talking about undervaluing people, even in the context of doing a good job and taking care of your employees, that it was so focused on just money, 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 don't go home because if you go home, I make less money. We we can be tempted to make it about maximizing what we get out of it, to make it about how God benefits me. But the danger of that is that we start defining our faith by how much God has benefited us. If something happens that doesn't benefit us, we go, wait, maybe something's wrong. But Paul's saying here, if you've received any kind of benefit from Christ already, If you've had any kind of experience at all, don't focus on yourself. Focus on other people. Fight that urge. Don't fight and claw to meet your own interests and needs. Fight to meet the interests and needs of other people. And just like at the beginning where he says, live a life worthy of the gospel. And if you do that, you will have no fear. Paul follows this one up again too. In verses 5 and 8, he says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So he's making that connection again. That what he's about to say, this is what Jesus did. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Jesus, the one person who's actually earned it, the one person who can say, I deserve what I get, was the one person who was the most outwardly focused out of anyone. He came as a servant. At one point in the Gospels, he washed the disciples' feet. And we don't have a context as, as people in this society of how humiliating that would have been for him. And Paul wants us to understand that Jesus' life, he brought himself lower but that this is what came out of it. Philippians 2, verses 9-11. It says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him that name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this is one of Paul's key points in understanding this unshakable faith in Christ. That paradox, that our faith can be so relentlessly concerned with other people, that we live so much with humility and sacrifice towards other people and their interests, that to the world, that sounds like a way to lose. Paul challenged, or Jesus challenged a rich man once who said, I want to follow you. And the guy said, I've, I've, I've obeyed all of the commandments of the law. And Jesus said, but you're lacking one thing. Go give away everything that you have. Give the money to the poor and then come and follow. And so Jesus called attention to this guy's concept of success and said, give all of this away to the poor, then follow me. Such sacrifice. He walked away because he's like, no, that is a a lost life. You know, Jesus said, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for me will save it and so paul draws attention back to what we can expect out of this that if we carry the mind of christ of sacrifice of making ourselves the lowest person in the room making ourselves a servant of all paul says in philippians 2 verses 14 to 16 and he starts this one off he says You know, do everything without grumbling or arguing, because that's going to be a tough one. So when you do this without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And so this is the one thing, the one heart I've heard from so many different Christians is I want to live a life that's blameless before God. I want to live a life where I can say I did the right things that God wants us wants me to do. And we have such fear with that that we're afraid of not doing the right things. And in some sense we should be because it's a big deal. But what is Paul saying brings blamelessness and purity? an outward focus, doing something without grumbling or arguing. That if we stop looking at ourselves and start looking at serving other people with everything that we are, Paul says you can express, you can expect blamelessness and purity out of that. That sounds backwards. I'm a person that I really like being able to say I can do something. So with all the health problems I've been having over the last couple of weeks with hurting my back and twisting my ankle... And I almost did it again this morning in the same place. I've been sitting down so much. I'm sitting down now. I've been lying down at home when lying down wasn't painful. And watching my wife do so many things for me, I feel hopeless and helpless. I feel like a waste. I feel like I'm failing. And that's the heart of where we struggle, is that we want to feel like we're being productive. We want to feel like we've done what God wants us to do, and that we've shown ourselves worthy. But you know, God's saying, serve other people, and he will be. And so moving on, the third point I want to talk about is in Philippians 3. And so Philippians 3, verses 10 and 11, Paul says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. And so he's qualifying it a little bit here. He's saying, I want to know Jesus, but he's explaining more why. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And so this is the ultimate high bar for Paul. To live like Christ. To be able to say that my life is like what Jesus' life was like. That I've known his sufferings. That I've faced death for him and for others. And to Paul, it wasn't just to live like Christ is to hold standards for myself that Jesus did. We need to do that, but it's more than that. Paul said, if Christ suffered, I want to suffer. If Christ went without, I want to go without. If Christ died for others, I want to die for others. He was convinced that walking like Christ in this life led to walking like Christ in the next one, knowing the power of the resurrection from the dead. But how many times have we thought that our suffering was a strike against our faith? Maybe we have a backwards concept of what grows us and benefits us. I mentioned earlier about a friend of mine who serves in a foreign nation, and they face suffering and persecution every day. That if they found out this couple were missionaries, they'd be... Put in handcuffs, put on a plane, and shipped out of the country. And that's the good news. People in the country who become Christians face a lot worse than that. That there's police districts near their town that put out bounties on arresting Christians. And this is today. But the church thrives in the face of suffering. Paul said, rejoice in suffering because God can use it to produce fruit. So to Jesus, success was to go out and teach other people about God, to seek the lost, and to die for other people. But to us, success is often seeking the greatest experience for ourselves. Is that what Jesus did? You know, Jesus suffered in his path to communicate the good news to the lost. As far as we know, he didn't have a home. But we aim to suffer the least. That Jesus sought to feed We seek to eat. Jesus proclaimed that he finished his work when he gave everything. We say that it's not finished until we've received more. Is that what Jesus did? And I don't mean to criticize with this point, I mean to draw our attention to something that we may have missed because I want to see great things for everyone. We see the whole point of everything is to be with Christ so that we can receive from him. But Paul taught that the whole point was to be like Christ, so that everyone else could receive from him. And Paul makes this connection later. Because we know that this kind of a perspective doesn't benefit us in the here and now. Having a relentlessly outward-focused life doesn't pad our bank accounts. But Paul reminds us here in Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21, he says... But our citizenship is in heaven. We don't live here. We're just on the path back home. Our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And so this is the absolute high bar. This is the end result of our faith. We recognize that this isn't prosperous here. But listen to the victory that Paul talks about. The power that enables Christ to rule the entire universe will come into your life and will transform everything. Every weakness that you try so hard to overcome, every failure that you try so hard to prove to God that you're better than that, in one moment, God will take it and he will make all of it new every failure, every weakness, every problem inside of us, Christ will one day clear it all away. One day we will live in perfect glory. Paul is pointing us to this deep, deep reality. And I want to start ending off on this point that if we walk like Christ did, how Christ did, we'll wind up like Christ did. Resurrected in power. By seeking not to serve ourselves or prosper ourselves, we will succeed in every possible measure. Every problem that you could ever face in your life, everything that could ever come out of your weakness or your sinfulness, in every conceivable way that we are in want now, God will fulfill in perfection. And so by sacrificing our lives, we can succeed in power and perfection and glory. And so I want, you to, I want to lead you through the Coles notes here. So step one, show everybody else the gospel no matter what, and God will create in you a fearlessness, even in the face of opposition and destruction. Nothing will be able to touch you. Step two, serve everyone else in their interests no matter what, and God will pour power into you so that you can become blameless and pure, shining like stars to the people around you. And step three, do whatever you can to be like Jesus. Serve others wash their feet sacrifice for others die for others and the power that jesus himself uses to rule the universe he will use to make you perfect one day so fearlessness purity perfection and glory and paul doesn't say two things i want you to notice there's two key things he doesn't say he doesn't talk about your current circumstances And he doesn't talk about entrance criteria. He doesn't talk about where you are, and he doesn't talk about how good you are. Because it's not about those two things. Every single one of these things, serve without ceasing and give yourself for other people, can be done absolutely anywhere, at any time, by anyone, to anybody. We know sometimes we just want more clarity. Or sometimes, if we're honest with ourselves, we want an easier answer this letter from prison. He's saying, me in prison, you can do these things. God ever could be done by out like it. And here's the real truth, the real power of what Paul is teaching here. Paul is saying to live is Christ, and that means that Christ is life. And that's what we want at the end of the day, that we want Jesus. And I'm not saying that secretly we don't. What I'm saying is that we're built to want life. We're built to want good things. And that Paul is trying to drive it in again and again and again. This life that Christ lived does not look like it, but it will lead there. And that's the beauty of this backwards kingdom. You know, Paul says the one who wants to be first has to be last and a servant of everybody. Or Jesus said that. I keep getting them mixed up in this message. We can't meet our own needs until we're so laser-focused on reaching other people and meeting their needs. That's the paradox. We can't bring Christ in until we're dead set on giving him out. We can't save our lives until we're willing to give them away.